are entering the Freedom Hut. A show full of the important and the extraordinary today, my friends. The travel ban at SCOTUS. Do we have a sense of whether Trump will be victorious on this one? Uh, Also, can Trump supporters be thrown out of bars here in New York City? Macron's speech to Congress. What did he say? Ronnie Jackson's fate hangs in the balance here. And also an epic showdown between a political crony in Jersey and a patrol officer. That and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Great to have you hanging out with me. We got a lot of a lot of substance to get to today. A lot of important things to discuss. Instead of just uh, laying into the most meaty and weighty topics imaginable, though, I just want to start with something else. We we will get to the travel ban. Very important. I've been telling you all along, Trump's going to win at the Supreme Court. There were arguments at SCOTUS. We will get a little preview. Oh, gosh, we are all going to be bathing in liberal tears when that Supreme Court opinion comes down. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be walking around with like a super soaker full of liberal tears. You know, I think actually super soakers are are they they're not banned now, but they're almost banned. Like you can't bring them into school. I remember those things were amazing, although in the in the commercials for super soakers, those of you know what I'm talking about. It was like a fire hose coming out and that was never it was always like squirt, squirt. And then you're out of water. It was never as cool as it looked in the commercials when I was a kid. Uh, but there will be liberal tears with the Supreme Court decision if it doesn't go the way that the left wants it to go. I mean, I mean, literal tears, actually. People will cry over this one. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but I, I want to start with something else before Macron's speech, foreign policy, global warming. Or is it is it climate disruption or climate change now? Uh, latest on the Iran deal. I've also got some uh, kind of island of misfit stories to throw your way. This this standoff, and I'm going to really walk you through it. We're going to roll up the sleeves and do this one together between the unpaid, kind of uh, honorary, in a sense, commissioner of the Port Authority and uh, just a cop. Not just a commissioner, though. A uh, Hillary bundler. What a shock. A liberal. You mean a liberal who thinks she's got political connections and, and is close with the Clintons would get snide and nasty with just a patrol officer trying to do his job? Oh, oh, yes. And we have all the audio. And I promise you it's delicious. And we will walk through this one together. That'll be, if not this hour, certainly in the next hour. So we've got that coming your way. I just had to start with this one, though, because this, this kind of hit home. So I'm here in New York City. As you know, I live here. Um, maybe moving to D.C. soon, but we'll talk about that another time. And I'm here in the city, and, and I'm born and raised here. And, and I just kind of accept that I'm in... There's a lot of great food here, a lot of things to do, but I'm in hostile territory politically. But I would like to think that when it comes to the bottom line, when we're talking about a business, for example, my politics don't really matter. I can walk into a restaurant and, you know, the the good news is not enough liberals who live in New York watch Fox News for them to know who I am. When I used to do CNN, actually, they would come up to me and talk to me and they they would. uh, I never I'll never forget a guy looking at me on the subway for a while. And he says, um, I see you on TV sometimes. Just We're sitting directly across from each other in the New York City subway. I see you on TV sometimes. And, um, 
And I said, uh, well, yeah, I, I do CNN some, you know, occasionally, whatever. And he goes, you're very, you're very clear and thoughtful, but I disagree with all the things you say. And whenever someone says that, you're like, what's coming next? Uh-oh. Do I have to bust out the dim muck? Death touch. It's like blood sport, dude. Come on. Remember he does the, it's like a thing where he makes the, the brick explode. The dim muck. That's the, the special ninja movie he has to pull out. All right. So I did not have to use the dim muck on the subway. though. I could. Don't think that it's not in my arsenal of things. Uh, or the one inch punch. These are my favorite ninja moves. Um, but anyway, so people don't watch Fox, so they don't really see who I am. But I walk around New York City, and I think to myself, you know, I can go into a restaurant, go to a bar, and no, no one's going to say, hey, you're that guy that you know, supports Trump and is a Republican and goes on TV with the, with the swoop hair. And, and, but I'm a little worried now because there's a decision that just came down from a judge in New York City. Now, this was written up in the Washington Post that bars in my hometown are allowed to throw you out they are allowed to toss you from the premises if you wear a Make America Great Again hat. There was this guy, Greg Piatek, who was thrown out of a bar called The Happiest Hour, which I will tell you is a bar I know quite well. It is in a trendy part of New York City called the West Village. If you are a single gentleman uh, looking to meet some lovely ladies in their 20s and 30s, and, and 40s and above, too, I'm sure. Uh, the happiest hour is not a bad place to spend some time. But I will not be giving any of my hard-earned cash going forward to the happiest hour because they have a ban on MAGA in place now, it seems. It's not official, but this guy got thrown out because he had a Make America Great Again hat on. This is in the largest city in the United States of America right now, my friends. Uh, and he thought it was uh, he thought it was outrageous. But a, a judge here in Manhattan said that there's nothing, uh, nothing about it. That's a problem because the law does not protect against political discrimination. Notice how liberals enforce their will via the law when it comes to any issue of discrimination. In as many ways as they can and and they, they enforce it and and are, are rigorous about it. But for conservatives like me you know you are allowed to be punished for your political beliefs now half of the country can now expect that based on this judge in new york city based on his ruling you can be i guess what you can you be fired from your job apparently can you be tossed from a restaurant sure you know and they wonder why we don't really want to hear the lectures from uh jim acosta over at cnn and the rest about civility and the first amendment these people are petty authoritarians. And they're really totalitarians because it's not enough to just obey them. You have to show enthusiasm. This is an important distinguishing characteristic about what a true totalitarianism is. You know, it, it's not that you go along with their strict and, uh, and severe rules. It's that you have to pretend to like it. You have to espouse it. You have to give up any shred of your own thinking, of your own integrity and honor. And the very, very telling, very haunting scene at the end of 1984, uh, where the main character, the protagonist, denounces the woman that he has fallen in love with. And that's when you know that Big Brother has finally broken him. 
Not enough to say I'll obey, not enough to say I'll comply. You have to say, I love whatever you tell me to love. I hate whatever you tell me to hate. Now, it can seem like a bit of a a bit of a switch to go from getting kicked out of a bar in the West Village of New York City to some discourse on totalitarianism in 1984. But the same there's a similar mindset at work here. Who cares if somebody wants to wear a hat that is representative of at least half of the country's voting preferences. What kind of person thinks that there should be punishment for that? And what kind of country are we living in now if you can't walk around and share your beliefs that are as mainstream as it gets? The president of the United States wears a Make America Great Again hat, but you can get kicked out of a New York City bar for it. I think that this is, in a way, setting a table for the rest of our discussions today, because you have to keep this in mind. I would love to be bipartisan in in so many different ways. I would love to at least try to reach out to the other side, find common ground. I can't find common ground with people that want to kick me out of a restaurant or bar because they don't like my Republican hat. Can't do it. There, There is no common ground to find with them because they have already embraced a mindset of my way, or the highway, or my way, or I'll cry liberal tears. Buckets and buckets of them. Uh, so I, I just saw this. It, re- it really hit home for me today. By the way, if I do go from New York City to D.C., I think D.C. might be one of the only urban areas that is actually more of a Democrat stronghold than New York. It is the, the swamp is a very real thing. You can be a Republican who worked for an administration there, but if you're just living in the District of Columbia, you are in the People's Republic of D.C., it is left wing and then some, I think, over 95 percent vote Democrat. Something like that. It's crazy. There are a few guys in Georgetown, a few guys and gals wearing ascots and Lily Pulitzer dresses that vote Republican. You know what I'm talking about. They dress like Fred from the Flintstones. You know, he's got the little scarf thing on and a white sweater. He's like, oh, gosh, let's play some croquet and vote for Trump. That's about it in D.C. That's all you'll get. But here in New York, you get tossed out of a bar. A bar I've been to, I will tell you, many times, many times. No more. I will find my tequila elsewhere, happiest hour. You make me so sad. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sure I should have checked this. I'm pretty sure I actually know the owner. Pretty sure I. Pretty sure the owner is a not a friend from childhood, because, you know, communist, come on, right? But I know who he is. If I see him, we're going to have a talk. A little bit. A little bit. All right, the, let, let's get into some uh, some policy now, shall we? That's important context, though, I think, for what's going on in our lives. You know, I don't own a MAGA hat. I kind of want to get one now. I mean, I'm not going to wear it a lot because I feel like th- the truth is my head is too big. Literally and figuratively, but, but it, is, it is literally too large. And it's always this fun, this fun thing that happens where people say, no, no, Buck, it's one size fits all. Oh, no, this hat's really big. And then, I, and then I have to sit there and go through the humiliation. This has happened to me so many times. I'm having flashbacks right now. The humiliation of them trying to squeeze the hat on my giant noggin, and it never fits. And then they have to go, oh, I guess the hat's not as big as I thought it was. Yeah, you jerk. I told you it wasn't going to work. Never happens, dude. I had to get, when I was overseas, I, this is true. Now this is turning into Buck's confessions. I had to get a special helmet ordered. <laughs> <laughs> because we'll have to get you a MAGA sombrero. Yeah, I mean, I need to, I just, you know, I got a big head. What do you want me to do? It's, it's large and in charge. It's like Sputnik. It's huge. 
Um, I, well, we'll talk to you about SCOTUS, Supreme Court, the future of the country, all those important things, I promise you, when we come back. Stay with me. To know the man is to like the man. He is a good man. The buck is back. <laughs> Getting all these endorsements from Democrats these days. I like it. Yeah. I'll take it. Uh, I like it. Good stuff. Oh, by the way, I forgot or I messed up. It's not Fred from the Flintstones I meant with the ascot and the white sweater, obviously. That would have been a weird... It's Fred from Scooby, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. John caught that one. He's like, people look like Fred Flintstone in Georgetown? In Georgetown, sir? When, they, when they're out on their yachts, do they really look like Fred? Do they power them with their feet? Uh, no, it's Fred from Scooby-Doo. He's got blonde. He's got a blonde swoop. Guy wears it. He pulls off an ascot. You have to respect that. By the way, do you think I could bring, make the ascot uh, help it come back? No? They're giving me thumbs down. All right, fine. Fine. Start walking, or start walking around just with an ornamental cane. You know, not one to help me walk, but one that's like just uh, or or uh, well, a pipe. Obviously, I walk around with a pipe too. You know, people will be like, uh, "Why is that twenty-four-year-old looking dude with a cane and a pipe? What the heck's his deal?" Fair point. Who who let that frat boy loose with a cane and a pipe and put him in a radio studio? Um, Hayden in Savannah, Georgia. You got some thoughts? By the way, I love your town. I was down in Savannah. Well, I don't know a month or two ago. It's beautiful. Cool, cool. Thanks for coming down here. Yeah, I'm I'm retired Army out of here, Fort Stewart. We decided to stay here. I'm from Syracuse originally. Born and raised 27 years up there. Uh, I was wondering, um, what would happen if somebody were a Hillary for jail and in jail garb T-shirt into that bar? What would they do? You know, I think that that wouldn't upset people quite the same way. I think wearing a red MAGA hat or Make America Great Again <laughs> hat is is like the most, it triggers libs. It really does. You know, it, it sends them into fits of rage. Their mind automatically goes back to the night of the election when they thought they were going to have right. a party here in New York City. So I think you could probably get away with lock with lock her up. Uh, I don't think, see, because they're, remember, it's not that they love Hillary so much as they hate Trump. Hate Trump. Yeah. And you know what you need with your, with your cane? You need to have a monocle, too. That, oh, for, really Trump. Absolutely. High five, Hayden. Thank you, and Shields High. So the guy's totally right. Monocle top hat. We got to create a whole Buck character here. But then aren't you Mr. Peanut if, with the monocle? Mr. Peanut. Mr. Peanut doesn't have hair like this, son. Please step off. Nonsense. Uh, I want to actually give out some Buck slaps because that sounds like fun. Uh, and there's no better time to do that than. Well, you know, she actually did it for me here, Sarah. Sarah Sanders, handing out Buck slaps left and right. There was quite an exchange. With uh, Ms. Sanders and Jim Acosta, who's among, he's like top five most annoying at CNN right now. He's top five. I mean, some people might argue he's in the number one slot. It's fierce competition for that, though. But he's definitely top five. Uh, here is what Sarah uh, had to deal with today at the press conference. Certainly would not uh, would reject the idea that the president or this administration has uh, halted freedom of the press. I think we're one of the most accessible administrations that we've seen in decades. Uh, I think by my mere presence of standing up here and taking your questions uh, unvetted is a pretty good example of freedom of the press. And I think it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. 
they are coming after saying that that Trump is destroying press freedom. I, I mean, how can they just do they really think that the president of the United States calling some reporters whiny babies is destroying and he doesn't even call them that, but he calls them losers or hacks or whatever it is. But that's destroying freedom of the press. Who says the president has to be nice to journalists he doesn't like? You know, sure, if the president's if Trump signed an executive order, you know, shutting down news organizations as a national security threat, I'd be right out there with him saying, no, 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 no. You know, unacceptable. And I, you know, then we got big problems. But that's not happening at all. It's not even close to happening. In fact, this president is, as Sarah, Sarah Sanders said, more accessible, more open to the public in many ways than any of his predecessors. I mean, look, you can tweet at this guy. Certainly Kanye can. He got a response. You see that? Kanye tweeted at the president. They have a little exchange. Uh, you know, I, I've tweeted at the president before. I may have tweeted at the president the day before he decided to pardon Scooter Libby when it was rumored. I'm like, do it, Mr. President. Now, I'm not saying he did it because I told him to, but I'm not not saying he did it because of that. Acosta got into it a little bit more, though, with Sanders. Here's how that went. Are you trying to say that this administration is a champion of a free press? That, that I seems- certainly think that, uh, as I stated a moment ago, we support a free press, but we also support a fair press. Uh, and I think that those things uh, should go hand in hand, and there's a certain responsibility by the press to report accurate information. I think a number of people... I think a number of people in this room do that every single day. They do their very best to provide fair and accurate information certainly support that that's one of the reasons i'm standing here taking your questions um and and a lot of times taking your questions in a tone that's completely unnecessary unneeded and frankly doesn't help further the conversation or help the american people get any more information in a better way which is your job and my job and that's what i'm trying to do that was like you never seem to catch on it's actually very simple huck slap not a buck slap, it's a huck slap. That's what she just pulled off there. I love it. Sarah Sanders. With that one, you complete me. That was great. I really like that. Smacking down Acosta. You know, but Acosta, that's what he lives for, man. He's a hero to the left because of this. It's all theater. Uh, uh, oh, okay, yeah, the Supreme Court. Important stuff. The travel ban. Is it going to stay? I'll tell you after the break. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Of all the things that Trump did his first year in office, I think the travel ban upset liberals the most. I think it was the one move that he made that really got them the most upset. They lost their minds over this thing and said all kinds of hysterical as in freaking out, not as in ha-ha, things about how this was un-American, it was fascism come to America, it was Islamophobia, all this stuff. You remember hearing it, right? Well, some of us have been stalwarts in this process, telling you, no, 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 the president, under his power as commander-in-chief, can determine that if there is a national security threat with foreign nationals, who have no right 
to come to America, meaning they do not have the right to come to America at will, uh, that foreign nationals that, that fall into that category, guess what? The president can exclude them. He is allowed to do this. It's uh, national origin is not a protected class for the purposes of discrimination, right? So this is this is not a civil rights issue. If the president says people from Iran right now not welcome in America, the president's allowed to do that. Doesn't mean the president is an Iranian hater. It just means that he's determined that for the safety and security of the people here, we are putting in place uh, a regulation to stop the entry of people that have no right to come here. You know, the the brilliance of the travel ban uh, really was that it showed what the Democrats value and what they don't care about. They don't care about what the American people think vis-a-vis the rest of the world. The rest of the world gets just as much of a say in terms of the uh, the moral weight in an argument as we do, as Americans do. The primary point of uh, mobilization for Democrats in year one of the Trump presidency was for illegal aliens and foreigners. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about the DACA thing, I think, as well, coming up. That's, a, that's important. That's just, that's just crazy what they're doing now. It really is. I mean, the, the, the courts are debasing themselves. The same way that we're starting to ask some questions about the FBI and what we've learned about the deep state at the top of the DOJ and FBI, uh, we've got to look at the federal judiciary and think, these people aren't tethered to the law in any meaningful sense. They are just one man and one woman legislators wearing judges' robes. That's what this has turned into. Uh, they're not operating in a good with a good faith interpretation of the law. They are rewriting laws. And DACA is a perfect example of that. I mean, it's just, but it ties into this broader theme. The Democrat Party is more concerned as a policy matter with illegal aliens rights and foreigners rights than anything that the American people can show them when it comes to security, the economy, anything else. So the travel ban back to the travel ban. You had the judges hearing arguments today about this. And, and here's, I think the single most powerful argument against those who say that this is a Muslim ban. That's what they've been saying. It's a Muslim ban. Justice Alito, during the oral arguments today, and, and a decision won't come down, they think, until June. So we got a little time here. I'm going to make a prediction. And Producer Mike, let's, let's mark this one down. I predict you will have a 5-4 decision upholding the Trump travel ban, and then we will all jump into a swimming pool shaped like a dollar sign of liberal tears. That's what's going to happen. That's my prediction. So we can mark that one down. Uh, but here is the, the most the most important single point of argument over this whole thing, because they're saying it's a Muslim ban, it's discriminatory, it's racist. They also fight over things like, does it work? Do they have good enough reasons? But that's all not really. They try to emotionalize the argument against the the travel ban. And I also don't like that we call it a travel ban. It is a temporary modification to the travel policies affecting the following nations. You know, we should come up with a cooler, better, more accurate term for it because travel ban sounds scary, right? 
it's not a travel ban. People can still travel. Lots of people travel the United States. Just, you know, sorry, Yemen, like can't can't vet the people coming in enough or whichever the countries are that are currently on it. I think there's six or seven. Uh, there's some of its change, right? Iraq was on it. We took them off because we had reasons, you know, hashtag reasons. But here's what Alito had to say about the ban. So would any reasonable observer reading this proclamation with, without taking into account statements think that this was a Muslim ban? I mean, there are, I think there are 50 predominantly Muslim countries in the world. Five, of, five countries, five predominantly Muslim countries are on this list. The, uh, the population of the, of the predominantly Muslim countries on this list make up about 8% of the world's Muslim population. If you looked at the 10 countries with the most Muslims, exactly one, Iran, would be on that list of the top 10. So would a reasonable observer think this was a Muslim ban? I actually kind of wish we had that guy's answer because I would love to hear, uh, I'd love all of you to hear. I mean, I can read the transcript here for you, but, uh, you know, it's, it's very clear to me that there's no good answer for that. On the other side, if it's a Muslim ban, why doesn't it ban? Why doesn't it ban ninety-two percent of Muslims? It's clearly not a Muslim ban. It's a ban based on national origin. It's not a ban of people who are of a certain religious background. So they're just I, I, that alone to me. It's like this is really the end of the argument. I mean, we we could get into all the other stuff too. I think the other places in the argument are even weaker for the left for the anti-Trump resistance, but. That's really uh, that's really checkmate. They're calling it a Muslim ban. It's clearly not a Muslim ban. So they overstepped. They overplayed their hand, and they're wrong. Um, so so you got that one. I think that's point one, and uh, that's that's worth worth noting. The other thing they keep saying here is that because of Trump's personal animus, based on statements he made during the campaign. Uh, then, you know, then that affects the the legality of this. So think about this. Now we're to say that whatever a president may have uttered in over the course of his life could render his decision as commander in chief null and void because he had said something mean a long time ago about a group of people or about whatever the issue may be. No, the law has to be evaluated, or in this case, the executive order, the executive decision from the commander in chief has to be evaluated on the merits. If you can evaluate these decisions based upon a context that's completely subjective, I might add, and for which there are no clear horizons, or you stretch back as far as you want into someone's past, find one statement that you don't like, say, oh, sorry, this person's bigoted, can't rule on this issue, can't be involved. That's really just a formula for uh, completely nullifying a presidency over time. I mean, it's just, you can take this... You can take this to ends that would make it impossible for a president to do his job. Um, there's some other parts about this that that get it. To, let's say, you know, is it is it too broad? Uh, that was one of the challenges they raised about this one. Um, and then, OK, but here's on how do the president's campaign statements affect the interpretation of the order? Here's Chief Justice Roberts. Quote, if your argument based on discrimination based on the campaign statements, is there a statute of. The one that you do make based on the campaign statements, is there a statute of limitations on that or is that a ban for presidential findings for the rest of the administration? 
Chief Justice Roberts is saying, you know, so is Trump never allowed to give any issue on any executive order on immigration because of things he said during the campaign about immigration? Isn't this really stupid, folks? Like you're hearing this, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is what the left, this is what their expert, quote unquote, legal analysts at MS and uh, CNN and ABC, NBC and all the rest of it. This is what they're saying. This is what the establishment media is putting up there. Trump's authority is nullified because he said mean things during the campaign. This is like it's like we're asking a bunch of kindergartners to to come up with decisions on this. It's just childish nonsense from them. But that's what they're giving us. That's what we're seeing. Uh, So that's important. And then Chief Justice Roberts continued with this. So if tomorrow he issues a proclamation saying he's disavowing all those statements, then the next day, can he re-enter this proclamation? The the uh, Mr. Remember, this is uh, Trump versus Hawaii. I think is what the the name of the case is. Um, and then Katyal, who's arguing against the travel ban, writes, "That's exactly what this court said in McCreary. This court in McCreary said, you know, the same policy can can be constitutional if promulgated by one entity and not another, depending on the circumstances around it." Is your answer to my question yes? Mr. Cotillard, the answer, yes, the answer is. So if Trump, I wanted you to be clear on this, you know, because this is going to escape most of the mainstream outlets and everything. The guy who's arguing against the travel ban is saying, if Trump says, you know what, that stuff I said in the campaign, I take it back. Then his travel ban is constitutional and OK. This is laughable. This this is worthy of derision. This is worthy of complete ridicule. This is not a serious legal argument. But you'll notice that if they don't take that position, then what I said before is true, which is well, now Trump is never allowed to. He's never allowed to have any you know immigration orders. They are taking away presidential authority based on what they like and don't like. That's what these judges who have ruled against them are doing. You know, I think uh, our, our friend David, David French over at National Review refers to Trump law, which is just law that hurts Trump and therefore it's OK. Throws all the rest of law out. Trump law. It's a specific thing. And he's right. These judges, whether it's, you know, out in Hawaii or the, the others, not either Ninth uh, Circuit guys, they're engaged in Trump law, which is just a complete fabrication. And they really do harm to law and order and jurisprudence in this country because it's so clear that they are not they do not feel bound in any way by what the actual legal text may be. They don't care what the statutes say. It's just does this slow the Trump administration down? Does it hurt Trump's reputation? Does it take away Trump's power? If the answers to those things, any of them are yes, then then that's the law. People should be embarrassed making these kinds of arguments for the Supreme Court, but they're not. So um oh, and they also then pushed on the uh, notion of whether it's OK for them to second guess the wisdom of this move. This is an incredibly weak argument. But let me let me take that component of this after the after the break. Uh, if you got any thoughts on this, by the way, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We will be right back.
Without the ability to impose entry restrictions, the United States may be forced to unsuspectingly allow dangerous criminals or terrorists into the country. Additionally, without the restrictions, foreign governments have little incentive to improve their information sharing and identity management practices. The focus of this travel ban has been on safety and security uh, is limited to a small number of countries, uh, and a lot of Muslim-majority countries have the same abilities to travel to and from the United States as they did in previous administrations. Not a Muslim ban. It's just not. People can say it all they want, but it's not. Uh, and it's not in the purview or the, it's not in the power of judges to second-guess the president of the United States on his national security judgment, right? This would be like a judge saying, oh, you know, I, I don't I don't think that this person deserved a pardon, so we're just going to say that the person wasn't pardoned. No, that's a presidential power. It's not The judges don't get a say in that. If the president wants to pardon somebody, he can. Judges don't get to review it. You know, it's like in the NFL, not reviewable by the refs, right? This is not a reviewable decision by the courts, meaning the wisdom of the decision is not reviewable. Is it a good idea or not for national security is not something that judges get to weigh in on. It is not their role. But yeah, they're doing it anyway because it's Trump law. Hash, our, uh, hat tip David French. Uh, all right, I got a lot of lines lit here, so I want to take some take some calls. Let's take uh, Tommy in Eden, North Carolina. Hey, Tommy. Hey, hey, man. I just wanted to tell you that uh, this is some of the most realist talk that I've heard on any radio station. I, I'm a conservative. I listen to all that stuff. This is the most realist stuff you're giving. I'm telling you, Thank I, you. I'm impressed. Yes, sir. I'm impressed. I'm trying to get all of my social. I'm going to put you on my social media and start try to spread the word because more people need to hear you man i appreciate that thank you I, I i keep it real tommy it's how we do it here yes sir you yes sir you do and i appreciate everything you do man thank you shield tie thank you tommy thanks for being a member of team buck and please do spread the word another call in north carolina todd in kernersville nc hey todd hey how are you buck i'm good good in regards to the statement that Trump made on the campaign trail, I was just wondering, if he had his fingers crossed behind his back while he said it, would that make it null and void? Uh, Todd, I think you got a, uh, based on the Dems position here, I think you got a legal argument there. What if Trump just went on TV and said, uh, I want a travel ban? Not. <laughs> you know, does it go away then? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's ridiculous out there. It is a crazy world we live in. If you see these arguments that were made in the Supreme Court, you'd be like, this is wild, man. Yeah. No, look, they're looking in Trump's, they say they're looking in Trump's heart to determine what national policy is. And I'm not exaggerating that. They're just, this would be like saying the president can't, because of what he tweeted, he's no longer the president. It's just nonsense, man. It's garbage. All right. Well, thank you, Todd. I I appreciate it, brother. Thank you for calling in. Jeremy in uh, New Mexico. What's up, Jeremy? Oh, the temperature today, but, uh, <laughs> hey, so um, I thought I'd call in uh, as a fellow big head here. Um, what size hat do you wear? Dude, it's, uh, my, my head's too big. There are no hats. I have to get them special <laughs> ordered. There are no hats. I literally didn't yeah, play yeah, helmet yeah, sports. I, I'm embarrassed to tell anyone that I didn't play helmet sports growing up because they always hurt my head. Yes, yes. I had to get the – I always had to – as a kid that played peewee baseball and stuff, and I always thought, I always thought it was just cool that I got the coach's helmet and I got the coach's hat. Not until I was older that I realized, well, that's because I have a big head and 
Yeah, but when I was 12, you know, like my little neck muscles couldn't handle like the adult size helmet. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, what I needed. So, yeah. But you got some DACA thoughts? We only yeah. about 30 seconds here, my friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my thing with the DACA thing is, I, I, and what I would love to see, I would love to see Trump do is, and I know he won't, hopefully, um, is just tweet out and be like, show me your authority that says you get to tell me I have to reinstate a, an executive order from a previous president. Because the judges do not have authority they do not, Jeremy. You are correct. They do not have that authority, and I will address that uh, hopefully coming up here in the next hour. And also, the standoff between Port Authority, political crony, and a, a police officer. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Oh my gosh. These, these sound bites I'm about to play for you. This video... Courtesy of the uh, great state of New Jersey is amazing. But all you need is the audio. The video quality is not really important or all that good. Uh, but this is a, a, a learning opportunity, I think, for all of us. A reminder to all of us uh, that in the, in the era of body cameras and dash cams, when you're talking to police, you're, you're talking to the whole department, really. And... You, <laughs> You got to watch out what you say and how you present yourself. It also reminds me of, of some stuff that I dealt with back in the day. Uh, for example, at the NYPD, I had a I had official credentials when I was at the uh, intelligence division. as what they called a. Some of you were like, "How are you the NYPD?" But you weren't sworn. Uh, well, I was sworn law enforcement, but I wasn't badge carrying, gun toting law enforcement. Um, and because uh, I was a intelligence research specialist, that's what they called it. And working just just on counterterrorism cases. That was all I was doing. Uh, but I had official NYPD credentials, right? And they said, they're like, look, it, you know, if you... And I actually had a car at the time, which in, in New York is in... In Manhattan, at least, is like an unheard of luxury. I brought it with me from Washington, D.C., where I used to live. And they said, if you ever get pulled over, you are allowed to identify yourself. It is also official. It is, you know, an official government identification. You're, you're allowed to show your NYPD creds. But do not think that, you know, that's a get out of, forget about get out of jail free card. That's a get out of ticket free card. The officer will make the determination. Now, do I think that you get a little extra love if you're NYPD? Probably, yeah, of course, right? But if you're polite, if you're respectful, it's like I had a friend who said that uh, he didn't want to give out any patrolman's benevolence cards anymore. I don't know if they have this outside of New York, but there's something called a patrolman's benevolence card. I think if you donate the police fund or something, because people started to think like, well, I got a patrolman. You know, they, some guy would get pulled over doing 80 and a 30 with like a, you know, a hooker hanging out the back window and like, you know, a taillight busted and throwing beer cans as he's, you know, doing donuts in the middle of the intersection and be like, I got a patrolman's benevolence card. Take that, officer. That guy goes to jail, <laughs> right? Like, patrolman's benevolence card or not. Doesn't matter. He's going to jail. So, I, I, so I'm familiar with how this stuff goes. You know, if you're inside the system, you want a little consideration, that's fine. But cops give cops tickets all the time. It happens all the time. If you're cool to the cop or if you're, if, you know, if you're law enforcement and you're cool to law enforcement, you might get a little, you might get a warning, right? You might get a little consideration for that, just like everyday citizens can. 
You know, I have a feeling Miss Molly doesn't get a lot of speeding tickets. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not. She's never gotten, never gotten one, from what I know. So I wonder. Oh, yeah, she just goes the speed limit all the time. Sure. Anyway, this is an amazing audio, amazing video from, from Tenafly, New Jersey. And it is of uh, a woman named uh, Karen, uh, what it was, Karen Turner? Yeah, Karen Turner. Thank you who was a Port Authority of New York and New Jersey commissioner. It gets better. Not only is she a commissioner, she is the uh, commissioner for ethics and integrity or something like that. She's the ethics commissioner for the Port Authority, which is, uh, it's kind of complicated. They they have their own police force. In New York, we have so many important and large bridges and tunnels that there's kind of a separate government body that just deals with that. And because they're high profile, you know, terror targets and everything else, they have their own cops. Um, and it stretches way back. To, I think actually it's a Robert Moses thing from way back in the day. Right. Port Authority. I think he was involved. with. I could be. Don't don't quote me on that. But OK, so here's what happens. It's Easter Sunday, I believe. They just released the video today. That's why everyone talks. And now we all get to see what happened. It's Easter Sunday and uh, a, a bunch of college kids are in a car. They get pulled over by the cops. Uh, the car is unregistered. So they're going to tow the car until they can prove that this is a, you know, an o- legally owned and registered vehicle. Also, I think it had some, uh, some obscure, it's a Nevada plated vehicle. I'm sorry, Nevada. Yeah, I know. I caught myself a Nevada plated vehicle in New Jersey. And as everybody listening to this knows you, by the way, we're going to, we're going to really sink our teeth in this one. Once you hear the audio, you're going to think this is, this may be your favorite radio segment we've done in a long time. So just stay with me. Okay. Uh, but, you know, you're driving through a small town in New Jersey, Tenafly, which I believe is, is, as the kids would say, it's a pretty bougie town. You know, a lot of a lot of, a lot of Benzes and BMWs driving around there. In fact, Karen Turner, the owner of a black, a black Mercedes Benz, as the press was not shy about pointing out. Uh, but so these kids get pulled over. Law enforcement's there. Two police officers, uh, you know, patrol officers uh, for this for the town of Tenafly. And this commissioner who by the way is unpaid it's like more of an honorary position the commissioner shows up she wasn't even in the car that was pulled over or is now being temporarily impounded and this is how she approaches the officers hi it's Niner. i'm a resident here you go fine, we don't, I, don't, I don't need that okay fine i'm you're, here you're just here as the rider right no i'm not okay i'm here as a concerned citizen and friend okay. of the mayor Okay. and been in Tenafly for oh, 20 years. I take full responsibility for them. And what is the reason they were pulled over? The driver has all the information. He'll tell you. No, 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 no. I need to know. No, you don't need to know. Okay. We're not involved here. You're picking them no, up. No, no, no. I'm involved. Trust okay. me. Well, I'm, I'm very not going involved. to tell you. He's the driver of the automobile. He's over 18. That's all you need to know. Um, Okay, okay. If you can... We don't need to see credentials. Okay, okay. We've explained I, you need already. A, you need a... So just so you can, she keeps handing these two police officers her a business card that says like commissioner, I guess, of ethics, because that's what she was. She got tossed, by the way. Spoiler alert. She, they, they fired her butt from that position right away. Uh, but, you know, she keeps handing them a business card and the cops are like, OK, you weren't even here, lady. Like, it's a registration issue with a car. It's pretty straightforward. If, if you got a problem I and mean, talk to your kids. And this is all on dash cam, which is great. And these officers... They did a phenomenal job standing their ground, and they know they're dealing with somebody here. She's trying to throw her weight around. You know, I know the mayor, you know, the whole thing. 
Oh, but it gets so much worse. Of the Port Authority, and I'm heading up over 4,000 just note how she throws that. You know, I, I head up over four thousand police officers. Like, not really. Actually, it's not really. She's in the org chart, uh, but it's she doesn't actually. They don't. They're not like showing up saying, "Sir, yes, sir," you know, or "Ma'am, yes, ma'am," as the case may be. Keep going, John. No problem. Well, I think there's a problem. It's an unregistered vehicle. Okay. Let's hear what is. Why were they pulled over? First of all. Miss. Now, don't call me Miss. I'm Commissioner. Thank you. Commissioner. Yes. That's amazing. Don't call me Miss. I'm Commissioner. It's like, they don't work for you, lady. They they can call you whatever they want, all right? You're not the commissioner of them. It's not like you're the commissioner of the NYPD and their NYPD officers. They're Tenafly cops. You work for the Port Authority. It's a completely separate entity, but I like that. Call me Commissioner. Keep going. Yep. Driver with us. No, no, no. I need yes, to know. Ma'am. The car's getting towed off. Why is the car getting towed? Go ask him. No, no. I'm asking. You're the person who ordered it. And trust me. Miss, this does not involve you 1%. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Because I'm picking them up, and 1%. I'm offering to take responsibility for them, and you can't even tell me the charges. I'm also an attorney. So That's I fine. think if you can't tell me, what is the problem? That's fine. I'm also an attorney. You know, she just keeps... She just keeps piling up, just keeps going, keeps making that file a little thicker. You know, I'm a commissioner. I'm an attorney. I'm a concerned citizen. She's a lobbyist uh, who. Yeah, she's not even a, she's like a, this, this is like Patrolman's Benevolence Card crap. She's not even a real law enforcement official. She's out of her mind. This is what I, I was going to get. Mike is, is getting, guess, guess who she's connected to, folks. Guess what she really is? She's po- she's posing as like this commission. She's like, law- I have 4,000 law enforcement officers responding to me. She's a bundler. She's a fundraiser for who wants to guess? You know who? Hillary Clinton. That's right. She is a Hillary Clinton crony throwing her business card around as the honorary ethics commissioner for the Port Authority. And these two police officers who are literally just doing their jobs are like, lady, get a grip. We don't take orders from you. I don't care what you have to say. Oh, oh, but no, no, my friends, we're not done here. It gets even more delicious. She goes, I mean, she starts dropping F-bombs. Stuff gets wild. She starts threatening their jobs. Oh, 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 you're going to want to hear this. Stay right there. We'll be back. So what do you do if it's uh, Easter Sunday and you're a parent, you show up and your college aged uh, young person, uh, daughter in this case, uh, has been the passenger in a vehicle that's being impounded? Here's what you don't do. You don't do what Karen Turner did, which is pull out your business card and act like you're basically the secretary of defense or something. <laughs> I'm a commissioner. I have 4,000 offices work for me and, and I'm a lawyer. But as though she hasn't embarrassed herself enough, and keep in mind, these two officers were completely professional. They dealt with a lot of abuse from her, but but it gets worse. Here's how that whole sequence, remember, this is on the side of the road, Easter Sunday. The officers are like, look, we're just, it's not even her car, by the way. It's the car of one of the uh, parents of one of the other children, not children, one of the other college kids in the vehicle. But so she's already thrown out there, I'm a lawyer, I'm a commissioner, I'm a concerned citizen, and you have to tell me what happened here. 
and and it, it gets it gets ugly. It gets ugly, folks. Strap in. This is a lawful motor vehicle stop. You are here to pick them up. Okay. Okay. There's going to be a report. Yep. The driver be has been advised of everything that's going on. Okay. I was there for your graduation when you guys came in in the town, and it wasn't that long what ago. What graduation? What are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> what? He's like, lady. What? Why would she's an unpaid commissioner? She's a lobbyist and a bundler for Hillary Clinton. She's a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton that uh, Governor Christie appointed to this basically honorary post. She's unpaid, folks. Okay, this is not her job. I'm the commissioner, and she's like, I was at your graduation. She's like, what are you talking about? No, you weren't. Keep going. Okay. What, what graduation? Thank when you I came very to much. Town, it? and Catherine. Thank you for have your nice information day. and help. You know what? I hope you have a really nice holiday weekend, too, because you just ruined it for a lot of people. Without no, I, I even didn't. the decency. No, I didn't ruin anything. Yeah, I was you doing did. my job. Yeah, you did. I, I would just this hope you being future, a commissioner this is their that you would understand you the job police officers have to do. But. There is no explanation. How can I understand? Can I just, just as an aside here, I've, I've, had, I've had interactions with officers before um, when, you know, either for motor vehicle stuff, basically. And I just know this. Just be polite. And I know every law enforcement officer listening to this right now knows that, and they're, they're nodding their heads in agreement. You know, no matter what the circumstances, be polite to the officer. It's going to work out better for you. It may not get you out of the situation, but at least it's going to be a less tense situation. You know, it may not mean you just get a warning, but I can tell you this. You roll over like, well, excuse me. I'm the commissioner and I'm a lawyer and I have Hillary on speed dial. And that is not... That is not going to get anyone out of a ticket. In fact, the summonses are just getting piled up right now as they're having this whole conversation. Oh, but she's not done. Problem feeding it. I'm going to the store. I don't store. appreciate the way you approached me, the way you demanded information, the way I'm you're, you're stating based you. off of your, I'm your, asking your position you. I'm asking in another you. agency, I'm asking whatever it you. may be. I mean, you have a business card with How credentials. I don't know you. I, just I, love, you I love this cop. It's just like, no, I, lady, who are you? <laughs> you know, it's one thing if like, look, they're having cases. Right? It's one thing if, you know, you pull over like you're an officer, you pull over the chief of police that you work for and you know maybe he's got like the mistress in the car or something like that could be a little bit of a tough situation you know you might you may probably give the guy the green light to you know keep going whatever this is not that this would be like if you're you know you're driving through and like a you know texas state trooper pulls you over and you're like Ex- excuse me but i am a member of the sierra club sir it's like well what does that have to do with anything Continue. So Louis, you know Louis, what's his name? Schmaradovsky? What is that? Louis Schmaradovsky? Schmaradovsky. Who I am. I've been in the town for 20 years, and as a courtesy. Why she got to bring Louis into it? (laughs) These cops are like, Louis who? Like, this is just getting crazy here. Louis Schmaradovsky. Like to understand the rationale for their being pulled over and their car confiscated. This is a courtesy. I don't know why it's I, difficult. I believe you, know you should ask your daughter you and the driver of the motor vehicle. My people. daughter is a backseat passenger, as you've exactly. said. You're making the accusation. I would like to know. What accusation? She's, she's just gone off the rails. But I, I forgot to mention this. The, the windows, the front windows are tinted so you couldn't see into the car. That was originally why the cops pulled them over. And then when they ran the registration, the car is unregistered and they have no registration papers and they had no insurance card. I, you know, I, 
you can say what you will about the laws about this stuff, but that's a problem. Right? They're going to take the car at that point. Um, and I, I'm sorry, this is now the this is the piece uh, de la resistance. I mean, this is where it really. I, I've been keeping you here with this whole with this segment, these these sequences of of sound bites, waiting for this one because you know you know what is she what was the guy I can't remember the guy's name now whatever you know Mister F- you know Schmugelbaum or whatever the guy's name <laughs> they're like who so she doesn't work for there's no connection between these law enforcement officers and the port authority she's an unpaid commissioner she's a lobbyist who spends a lot of her time in D.C. by the way so she's a swamp dweller friend of Hillary's. And she's ordering these officers around, being nasty to them. And then she just decides to just really dig even deeper here. That's pathetic. And you are a disappointment. And you are just following him. So you are also a disappointment. You can't put together a sentence of what the problem is. Are you finished, ma'am? I'm shocked. I'm shocked and very disappointed. Thank you you for your help. You may take them now. You may not tell me when to take my child. You may shut the up and not tell me when <laughs> I need to take there. my kids she went and there. her friends okay. who are PhD students from MIT and Yale. Okay. You may tell me nothing because you've told me nothing. Shame on both of you. Okay. I will be talking to the chief of police Please. and I will be speaking to the mayor. Badge number 540. Not- I love this guy. I got your name. Just to make sure there's I know no discrepancy. There's no discrepancy. Matt is the first no. name. <laughs> Don't you worry. Awesome. Officer Matt. I got all oh, you're a great okay. man. You can't put a sentence together. That's uh, shameful. Okay. That's okay. shameful. Officer Matt. All right. Officer Matt is a great is a great American. I love that. He's like, yeah, take my badge number. Make sure you get my first name right too. He knows the whole thing's being recorded. This woman's way out of line. You don't see from Yale and MIT. We have brilliant college. It's like, lady, that has nothing to do with anything. Brilliant college. You can't put a sentence together. So now she's gone all like, you know, classist on them. Like, oh, you you patrol officers. I've got Yale PhD students in the car. Well, if they're PhD students, they could probably read the, the law and understand that you can't have tinted windows in New Jersey and you have to have a registered vehicle and you're supposed to have your insurance card on you. I've got Yale PhD students in it. By the way, just... This is exact. What else would you expect from a Hillary Clinton bundler and D.C. lobbyist? Right. This is a class. This is the classic uh, limousine liberal Democrat here throwing her weight around, being nasty to law enforcement. And that these cops, God bless them. They just stood there and they were 100 percent in the right. They were pros. It's really I would be willing to bet they will use this video for training purposes because those officers look, she told them to shut the blank up. Those officers could have gotten baited into saying something. Nope, they were they were 100 percent spot on. They were perfect in dealing with it. And the uh, Hillary Clinton loving Democrat here, uh, Turner, you know, yeah, you work for me and the PhDs and the, here's my card. And I'm a, oh, and she threatens to get them fired, by the way, too. I'm going to talk to the mayor. They're like, yeah, lady, go talk to the mayor. Good luck with that. You know who ended up getting fired? Karen Turner from her ceremonial unpaid role as Port Authority Commissioner. Justice was served, my friends. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Something's going on right now. You have a number of 
the biggest names in hip-hop music in just the last few hours showing signs of, if not open support for Trump, then at least uh, an open-mindedness about it. Kanye on the list, but not the only one. In fact, a couple of other hugely influential hip-hop artists uh, have weighed in on the issue of, well, politics in the country and Trump more specifically. Uh, Now, look, I, I stand by what I said. A lot of celebrities eventually will disappoint you on this, but Kanye's got 16 million Twitter followers, right? He's uh, and he's also he has a tremendous resonance in pop culture circles, but he's speaking specifically to the black community in some of his uh, with some of his tweets and in some of his uh, online philosophy. And he's not the only one who's doing so. This is what Kanye wrote uh, just earlier today. You don't have to agree with Trump. But the mob can't make me not love him. We are both dragon energy. I love that, by the way. I don't even know what that means. It's awesome. Different than tiger blood. Dragon dragon energies. Similar but different. We are both dragon energy. He is my brother. I love everyone. I don't agree with everything anyone does. That's what makes us individuals. And Trump responded to Kanye West. Thank you, Kanye. Very cool. So you here you have... The, uh, the the president of the United States and one of the most well-known and influential hip-hop artists of his generation, I think that's fair to say, uh, having a nice exchange on Twitter for all to see. And people are saying, well, hold on a second, that's, that's interesting. He's also been sharing photos, Kanye's been sharing photos of his MAGA hat. Remember we were saying before he had, so you can get kicked out of a, for uh, wearing a MAGA hat in some bars in New York City. But Kanye doesn't care. He's he's put out his his uh, MAGA hat. I guess Trump signed it for him. That's why he shared the photo. So he's got a signed Make America Great Again hat. But then there's also Chance the Rapper. I don't know if you're familiar. He's a little bit of newer to the scene, but has like six or seven million Twitter followers. He just, while we were on air here, put out on Twitter that black people don't have to be Democrats which I can tell you is getting a lot of attention. This is going viral. People all over the Internet now are like, oh, what's going on? You know, conservatives are saying, yeah, Uh, you know, we we would love to bring uh, more black Americans into the Republican Party. We would we would love more uh, more black Americans to be Trump supporters or just geo registered GOP. Sounds great. Please come on over. You know, the, the, the party is, is going strong under the GOP tent. We'd love to, love to have as many of our uh, fellow black Americans or fellow Americans who are black as possible. So uh, that's an interesting. And, and this Democrats go into a little panic over this. They assume uh, they assume that no matter what they do, because they've spent so much time and energy trying to convince the American public, but more specifically convince black Americans that Republicans are just racist. All Republicans are kind of racist, just a question of how racist. GOP policy is racist, and Trump is the most racist of all. They figure that's all they have to do, right? Because then black people won't feel comfortable voting for any Republican, right? You know, and that's the whole strategy. What do Democrats then turn around and offer? 
the black community in this country in terms of policy, in terms of government solutions to real problems? Oh, then things get a whole lot more quiet. Democrats aren't nearly as good at that part of the equation. And uh, Kanye went after that, too. He, he tweeted out just an hour ago, as I'm on air here, Obama was in office for eight years and nothing in Chicago changed. Yeah, that is some stuff right there. First of all, it's just irrefutably true. I mean, the Chicago, the, the violence in Chicago is almost entirely found in predominantly black neighborhoods, really on the south side. I think also producer Mike is a little bit on the west side, too. I know it's the south side of Chicago. Everyone knows that is is a concentration of violence. And it's the uh, it's it's a part of the of the city that is uh, a very high percentage of uh, African-American residents. And what did you know, not only do you have the first black president for eight years. Supposed to be addressing that issue. I mean, there were weekends in Chicago where like 20 people were shot. You know, I mean, it was crazy what was going on there. But on top of that, Obama really is you know, his home base, at least politically. And really his home base, if, you know, growing up is Hawaii. But, you know, his home base politically is Chicago. So you have the first black president of the United States, eight years in office and the city that launched his national political career and one that he had lived in for years and that he calls home. Although now he lives in D.C. here, Ron, uh, is there's no real movement, no real policy. Nothing changes. Doesn't get better. The violence doesn't uh, lessen. And, you know, black unemployment is, well, it's much better now than it was under the Obama administration. Unemployment numbers much lower now than it was in the Obama administration. But this is starting to mess with some left wing orthodoxies here. They cannot have, I mean, if the Democrat Party cannot count on 90% plus uh, black American voting support, their whole structure of power starts to get rattled. And if the some of the icons of hip hop in this country, which is not just powerful in pop culture, but particularly uh, powerful within the black community for very obvious reasons, right, um, hip-hop community and the black community are uh, inextricably linked and tied together in profound ways. And for Kanye and Chance the Rapper to come out and take those positions publicly, people are starting to... And look, the Trump, I see Donald Trump Jr. is responding to this now. Ivanka uh, Trump has responded to it. Donald is, is already, obviously, Donald Sr. Has, has reached out to Kanye this is uh, this could be an opening, at least for a discussion about this. You know, Trump was always saying during the campaign. Trump was always saying that, you know, he, he wants to he wants to do great things for the black community in this country, that he has a you know tremendous respect and love for the black community in America. And he wants to do right by them. He wants them to come over to the Republican side. But regardless, he wants to do as much as he can. And. I think that there, because the media was so consistently screaming about Trump's racism, you know, there were some people that were understandably like, well, maybe we can't really take Trump at his word on this stuff. Right. Some de- some Democrats, some black Democrats were like, you know what? I, you know, Trump, I'm, I still think he's you know racially insensitive. Uh, but he keeps saying, keeps leading in some of his speeches or keeps, you know, uh, highlighting 
black unemployment at historic lows, Hispanic unemployment at historic lows. See, the GOP actually just wants prosperity for all Americans. We want to protect individual rights, but we want all people to have uh, a, a better life. We want a, a robust and growing economy. We want small business to be the engine of the economy. We want people not to be uh, deprived of the right to choose their own destiny and to, and to chase their dreams because of government regulation or because of uh, the redistribution that government engages in under the guise of what is fair. Uh, and this is, you know, this is how you start to get a conversation going to change the, the paradigm around Democrats versus Republicans on the issue of race. Oh, I can't leave this one out either. Diddy, formerly known as P. Diddy, formerly known as Puff Daddy, formerly known as Sean Combs. That's right. I just did all that. I, I listened to, I listened to a lot of hip hop growing up, actually. It's a true story. I could sit here. If somebody wants to wants to bring the early 90s hip hop my way, they'd be like, wow, Buck, you must have had a lot. I did. I had a lot of East Coast and West Coast. I did not. I, I did not close myself off to either. You know, I know that they had their disputes, but I, I celebrated both coasts when it came to hip hop. What do you got, Mike? You got Mike. Mike is giving me. You a just smile. tweaked me there when you said named all PD's names. You left one out. Can you, you know what it is? Um, wait. No. What I mean. What I miss. Well, it's his newest one. Uh, he's, he now wants to be known as Brother Love. No way. Come on. Oh yeah. Is this is this like a you, you are you you pulling my leg here? He wants to be known as Brother Love. Yeah, he changed. It's not too long ago. He changed his name once again to Brother Love. Oh yeah. Well, he has 15 million Twitter followers, and earlier today, he wrote the following. The U.S. has lost over 5 million manufacturing jobs since 2000. Think we can do better? And he then talks about a, a contest for bringing back manufacturing jobs. So Diddy, the capitalist, is talking about manufacturing jobs. Trump wants to bring back manufacturing jobs, too. People are starting to see some connections here. Kanye, Chance the Rapper, Diddy, there's, there's a theme, there's a pattern. These are big voices in the black community, in the hip hop community, in the pop culture world and across the country. They have a lot of influence. This is the opening conversation. And I can't help but think that our friend, I know she's up on uh, I can see her on the screen here on on Fox News. uh, Candace Owens, Red Pill Black is her YouTube channel. Uh, And she's also the communications director for Turning Point USA. Uh, you know, and, and also an early guest of the uh, syndicated Buck Sexton show. I'm just saying, I mean, we don't make stars here. We just help them achieve their stardom. Uh, but, you know, she's been a part of getting this conversation going, too. So we're going to watch this one. This is there's something happening here. I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to go too far with it. But gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could break down this this barrier of communication between conservatives and a lot of the black community in this country where, you know, it's not just the Democrat machine shouting down they're racist, they're racist. No, conservatism rejects racism because racism is irrational. It's against individual liberty. It's against everything actually that we stand for. So we need to we need to finally get that message across to work against the propaganda, to engage in our own counter narrative about the allegations, the the unfair and untrue allegations of racism about conservatism in America. And then we can have a conversation about, you know, what can we do? What can be done to the black community now? Who can we turn to for for leadership that's constructive in the black community? 
How do we get manufacturing jobs? How do we get higher paying jobs in predominantly black neighbors? What can be done to work better with the black community? Instead of just saying, you know, oh, well, things are things are rough in certain neighborhoods and it's, you know, because of racism and Republicans and nothing ever changes. Baltimore doesn't get better. Chicago doesn't get better. New Orleans doesn't get better. Let's go down the list. Cities where there's still cycles of poverty and too much violence. And anyway, we'll see. We'll see if this is really an opening or maybe it's just a passing moment in time. Uh, We we will uh, have a pause here. When we come back, uh, I do. I'm going to talk to you about Apu and the Simpsons in the next hour. And then also Hillary and the truth about where she stands on Me Too. I think it's more complicated than uh, certainly any Democrats want to admit. And we get that and much more. Stay with me. That I have sensed for quite some time that we are on the brink of an ideological revolution. That's all across the country and all across the world, but particularly in terms of the black community, which the left has held a near monopoly on our ideas and our thoughts over the last 60 years, really since LBJ's Great Society. I am tired of people looking at me and assuming that because of the amount of melanin I have in my skin, I am a victim. I do not think like a victim. Even if bad things happen to me, and guess what? They have. Guess what? They continue to happen to people all over the world. I would not want to be locked into this idea of being a victim. That's a weird place to me for people to want to continually exist in. And quite frankly, it's lazy. It gives people an excuse to not have to go through things in life and to have to punch back whatsoever. They can lay down and say, I didn't make it because I'm a victim. That's Candace Owens talking about how she uh, feels about this current moment in time. And remember, she was the one who Kanye referred to publicly. I like the way Candace Owens thinks he wrote. I think Candace is like in her mid 20s. She's uh, she's young. And that got a lot of attention. But now Kanye has been doubling down and, and then some on the notion of an openness to conservative thinking, support of Trump just outright. And the guy's getting signed MAGA hats and putting on, on Twitter. Uh, Diddy, the capitalist, Chance, the rapper saying you don't ha- look Chance isn't saying I love Trump. He's just saying you don't have to be a Democrat if you're black. For many people on, in the Democrat Party, they do believe that you, you, you have to be a Democrat if you're black. Anything else is just crazy. They really think that. George in Los Angeles. What's up, George? Well, hey, uh, Buck, I have really come to appreciate you. And my wife and I, uh, we have been listening to every one of your programs, even when they get... Uh, uh, disrupted by some of these uh, sports things. I think somebody's told people at the station to stop that because you've come through uh, all the time now for your full, you know. Well, that's great. Uh, all right. Thank you, George. I appreciate the support. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking about poor baby Alfie and the rest of these babies that. Well, they can't diagnose them. They don't know what they're doing. And the doctors just declare, oh, well, they're, they're going to die. You know, and these judges who haven't been elected by anyone who are just, you know, there say, no, you only have the option of dying. And a lot of people don't recognize this harks back. And this is what makes the Declaration of Independence 
important even at this moment in time. You see, because unfortunately, Alfie and his parents are subjects of the crown. They do not, they are not independent people. They're subjects of the crown. Um, And they're kind of like some of the mindless or mind-boggled lefties who believe they're pursuing the true path uh, that someone has put out that says, oh, this is the way we progress. But we don't do that. We look at each person as an individual, and we grant them that respect. And there is something... There's something different. I mean, no, this country and George Shields, hi, thank you for the call out from out in L.A. There's something different about the way we do things here. We need to remember that. And if we don't, we're going to slide the way of the U.K. on this. And, you know, that reminds me, tomorrow I'll I'll plan to do a follow-up on baby uh, Alfie and what's going on there. But uh, coming up here, Hank Azaria might stop voicing a poo on The Simpsons. Why? Stay with me. I'll answer it. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show. I've been warning you that the social justice warriors will come for everything that you love in our culture. There is nothing that is safe from their grasp. There is nothing that you can assume they will also hold sacred, right? They just decide that they don't like something anymore or that it offends their delicate snowflake-like sensibilities. No one uses I guess snowflake, we don't use that term anymore. You know, it was really big for a while. Now we stop using it. we got to come up with something else. There was pearl clutching and snowflake. That's what we were saying about the SJWs in 2017. Maybe it got played out, you know? But we need a new word. We need to come up. Maybe people can, you know, write into me and tell me, what do we call the people that are like, oh, my gosh, you've culturally appropriated tacos for Cinco de Mayo, you monster. Like, what do we call them? We need to call those people. um, Sanctacomiasts. Sanctacomiasts. I kind of like that, actually. By the way, Sanctacomiasts started to catch on. I've I've said it to some people. They're like, can I borrow that? I'm like, absolutely. Sanctacomiasts is a good way of putting it. Uh Okay, so back to the culture and how they're destroying it, and particularly comedy. And I see this now all the time. The late-night comedy shows aren't even, they're not even comedy shows. They're political shows with jokes, and the jokes aren't funny. It's always the same joke. It's the same series of jokes about Trump and Melania, and it's just garbage, right? Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Stephen Colbert. You know, people have a long, hard day of work. They want, if they're going to watch those shows, and I'm not going to lie to you, I never watch any of that stuff, really. I just see clips of it sometimes. But if you're going to watch that stuff, you want to be able to escape the political fray a little bit. You don't really need to be lectured. You don't really need to have somebody who's uh, jumping out and telling you stuff that you're already hearing from the rest of the mainstream media. But, you know, they're paid millions of dollars to do it. Um but as we see from Megyn Kelly's situation over at NBC, just because you're paid millions of dollars doesn't mean you're any good. Just because you're paid a whole lot of money doesn't mean you're getting the ratings. Uh, you know, I'm just going to say it because I'm keeping it real because I'm keeping it real. It's, you know, Megyn shouldn't have left Fox. 
She should have asked Buck. Buck would have told her the truth. Don't leave. Don't do it. Stay there. You, you know, you, no, nope, too late. Anyway, but uh, so they pay these late night comedy guys a lot of money. And uh, oh, by the way, you know, on my on my whole thing about news anchors, um, Scott Pelley, better, uh, better than the I think it was Katie Kirk was the highly paid anchor before him at CBS. Uh, David Muir took over for Diane Sawyer, whom who people said was like some kind of God in the news world. Better ratings. David Muir, like they pulled this guy out of a Brooks Brothers catalog, put him on TV and Diane Sawyer after her 30 years of being on TV, he gets better ratings than her. So don't ever be fooled by this, right? A lot of these people are are interchangeable. They have they're they have huge egos and are also deeply insecure because they kind of know it at some level. Uh, but so Kimmel and Colbert, they're not funny, but they're coming after the stuff that we got to fight for. You know, they're going after the Simpsons. Now, I'm not a huge watcher of the Simpsons. I've certainly seen uh, I, I've probably seen dozens of Simpsons episodes, maybe maybe. 50 to 100, I'd say, would be the total. Which, And I know it's been on for like 20-plus years, and it's I think it's the longest-running syndicated TV show in America, right? So producer Mike's got me on the, on the fact check there. But uh, Apu is one of the uh, beloved characters from the show. Good him. Well, this time I've gone too far. No, no one will fall for <laughs> cheap meat. So that's where Apu, who owns a convenience store, changes the markings on some ham and thinks that, well, you know, maybe this is too much. No one's going to buy old ham. And Homer comes in, of course. He's very excited to eat it. Now, Apu is not a character that is he's not ridiculed on the show. He actually has lots of scenes where he's insightful and he, he, he is a part of the comedic ecosystem of the show. You are not laughing at a poo. You're not punching down at a poo. You think that he's it's supposed to be funny. He's a family guy running a small business. He's actually got some really interesting insights over the course of the show. Uh, but the social justice warriors have decided that he's it's a stereotype. Uh, they don't like the accent. And even more to the point, I suppose, a white guy is the one doing the accent. Told you, you're, as a white guy now, you're only allowed to do white guy accents and... I guess some generic female accents, but you're not allowed to do anything else. You're not allowed to do anything that is a, considered from a non-white country uh, or associated with a with non-white people in any way, shape, or form. You get in big trouble. Uh, so Hank Azaria is now in the middle of this firestorm. I told you about this. They did the whole Lisa Simpson. Lisa Simpson came out and she's like, maybe we won't actually address it now, but we'll address it later. You know that and. And now Colbert last night, because he's not funny, he's not smart enough to be a political analyst and not funny enough to be a comedian. He was good playing. He's maybe a good actor. He was good playing an O'Reilly spinoff somewhat, uh, but he's not a funny comedian and he's not a good uh, political analyst. But so that means that what he does is he has people on and uh, he pushed Azaria, Hank Azaria, the white guy who is the voice of a poo on The Simpsons about where this is all going. As some things are, will be dealt with at a later date, and Lisa says, if at all. Right. No, 
a lot of people didn't like that response. What do you make of the show's response? And did, would, did you have anything to do with that? I did not. I uh, had nothing to do with the writing or voicing. Apu doesn't speak in that segment. It was a late edition that I saw right around the same time that everybody else uh, in America did. So I didn't know what was going to be in it until I saw it. Um, I think that if anybody came away from that segment feeling that they should lighten up or take a joke better or grow a thicker skin or That's what people up, said, like, uh, like we'd like... We've heard what you said, and we were not going to respond. Yeah, that's certainly not the way I feel about it. And that's definitely not the message that I want to want to send. Well, what, what do you think should happen with the character going forward? Yeah, I've given this a lot of thought, really a lot of thought. Um, and as I say, my eyes have been opened. And I think the most important thing is we have to listen to South Asian people, Indian people in this country, when they talk about what they feel and, and, and how they think about about this character and what their American experience of it has been. And as you know, in television terms, listening to voices means inclusion in the writer's room. I really want to see Indian, South Asian writer, writers in the room, not in a token way, but genuinely informing whatever new direction this character may take, including how it is voiced or not voiced. You know, I, I'm perfectly willing and happy to step aside or Help yep, transition there you into go. something there, new. You, there, there it is. Uh, 29 years, producer Mike tells me. 29 years The Simpsons has been on the air. And here you have, and he doesn't just voice a poo, but he does a whole bunch of different voices on the show. Does he do Dr. Nick? Hey, I'm Dr. Nick. Remember that? Hey, I can't really do it. Uh, that was a fail. But uh, this, is, this is exactly what you would expect. He, look, I, I get it. Hank is—he's an actor. He's a voice actor. He, he doesn't really—he doesn't really need to have people picketing outside of his house. I—I I, I can hardly blame him. I just think it's annoying that this is where we are. So now we have to ask—we have to do some collective opinion polling about what uh, South Asian Americans think about the Apu character. Remember, this is a cartoon character, folks, on a comedy show. What is the offensive stereotype that we're really so concerned about here? That there are. South Asians who uh, South Asian Americans who own small businesses like, uh, you know, Quickie Mart or uh, 7-Eleven or whatever, you know, all the different variations. OK, is, is that offensive? It's a small business owner. And the accent, are, are we now we're not allowed to do accents is what they're really telling me. Or, or maybe you're not allowed to do accents if you're not a person who is associated with that accent. But what if you're born and raised here in the States? I just want to know where the social justice warriors draw the line. So if you're a South Asian descent, but you sound and have an accent exactly like me, let's say you grew up in New York City, but but you are non-white, right? You are a, you are brown. Uh, is that something then that allows you to do a South Asian accent on TV, whereas I would not be able to? I just want to know what the rules are. And then, you, you know, he also falls into this whole thing of, you know, it's I don't I'm not looking for token Writer, yeah, you're saying you know, this is the whole diversity play, right? Oh, I just want greater diversity, and that will solve everything. It's not going to solve everything. It's a cop out, and I just wish that we would defend comedy that is well intentioned and that is meant in in good humor and good faith in this country. But we're really letting it slide by, folks. It, it's disappearing, and the left is gonna the left is killing comedy, and they have no qualms about it whatsoever. And that's what's going to happen on The Simpsons. Going to happen everywhere else too. I wish I had. Happier thoughts on this one, but that's just what—that's just how I see it. All right, we got—we got to hit a uh, a quick break here, team. We'll be back with a whole lot more. Stay with me.
You also spoke with every living Secretary of State. What surprised you most about those conversations? A lot of things. You know, the level of candor from everyone, from Colin Powell, who said we're ripping the guts out of the State Department, we're mortgaging your future, uh, to Rex Tillerson, who gave a lot of access. Uh, I mean, the honest answer is one of the most surprising beats was how hard it was to get some people on the record. Uh, Hillary Clinton had scheduled an interview while I was at the height of the Weinstein reporting, and uh, her folks got in touch and said, we hear you're working on a big story, sounded very concerned, and tried to cancel that interview. Over the Weinstein stuff? Over the Weinstein stuff. Oh, I'm surprised at that. Oh, I'm surprised. Oh, Stevie, little Stephanopoulos, little, little itty-bitty Stephanopoulos is surprised that Hillary is a complete and utter hack. Can we just make sure we're all very clear on what was just said? That that was Ronan Farrow sitting down with little Stephanopoulos. Little Stephanopoulos? Oh. And he just said that Hillary canceled an interview because it was the height of the Weinstein thing. Now, don't forget, Hillary and, the, and Weinstein were tight. This is, oh, he was amazing. He used to give me the best hugs. She was close with him. She, uh, he was a, a big Hillary donor. You know, this is what gets left out of so much of the discussion here about Weinstein and the Me Too movement and all that, is that he was not just some guy who worked in Hollywood. He was Democrat. Weinstein was Democrat Party royalty. Tight with the Clintons, hanging out with them, the whole thing. Obama's own daughter went to work for the Weinstein Company. You didn't get much more powerful or connected than Harvey Weinstein was. And not only was that the case, that this complete creep, I mean, a super creep, a predator, not even just creepy, not even just shady. He's actually somebody who any day now, we could see those charges any day. But think about what Ronan Farrow has said here. Look, I, I, I gave Ronan a hard time, not not to, we don't know each other, but I, I was pretty rough on him when he got that show on MSNBC because he was terrible. He wasn't ready for it. He got it based on, you know, his family ties and name recognition. And it was a joke. He was like, uh, today on the show, at, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the internship I did at the State Department. I mean, it was a, like the worst daytime news show I've ever seen, which is saying a lot. I mean, it was worse than... It was worse than that Alec Baldwin show at night, which lasted like five days. We're going to talk politics here. We're going to have a discussion about politics. It's going to be good. It's going to be sick. I know. The boy's got skills, gentlemen. That's right. Buck's got skills. But but Pharaoh is saying that Hillary backed out of an interview because he had exposed Weinstein. So that means that her response, I want everyone to be clear, Madam Secretary Hillary's response to Harvey Weinstein being outed as a rapacious predator. I mean, the Hannibal Lecter of sexual assaulters. And the response, the response from, uh, from, from Hillary isn't, oh my gosh, how could I have been? It was, yeah, no, we don't want to upset Harvey. You know, maybe he's going to make a biopic about me or something. You know, we don't want him. Yeah, it's crazy. And they just skate away with this. This is what people understand. You could never, ever, be a conservative in Hollywood and get away with the stuff that guy got away with? No way. No way. The only reason it was possible, the only reason Weinstein's serial predations were possible is because the Democrat Party, uh, the Democrat power structure of the Democrat Party was protecting him. 
I mean, let's be honest. If you were to pick somebody who has a Ph.D. in the protection of prominent sexual predators, can you think of somebody with more life experience in that realm than Hillary Clinton? The answer is no. The answer is no. She she didn't just stand beside Bill Clinton. I mean, she's a little too close. I didn't really need it. She was going after. She was attacking the women who were coming forward with true stories about Bill. I mean, so you know, I just you know, I just like ladies, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I just feel like it's so unfair, you know. I feel your pain. The whole thing, man. It is, it is so appalling. And you know, this is going to be treated like a minor news item, but it just goes to, you know, this is why you know at CNN with all the tut tutting and all the oh my gosh, can you believe what Trump just did? Have we shown Stormy Daniels on the screen in five minutes? Because if we haven't, we need to. Hillary, who was supposed to be the great shatterer of glass ceilings, the one who finally broke through, here I come! She was, in fact, an enabler of predation on women at the high, literally the highest level, okay, the President of the United States, and the entirety of the uh, mainstream media complex in Hollywood went along with it, defended Bill Clinton, defended her for defending Bill Clinton, and now we see that even when Weinstein is finally exposed as the scum that he is, she wasn't sure that the power structure had really shifted yet. I would say that maybe she felt some lingering sense of uh, loyalty to him, but I don't believe that Hillary Clinton knows what loyalty is. I think she just wasn't sure yet if it was safe. You know, to go against Weinstein, maybe you know, it depends on at what stage of all. Remember, it came in waves and revelations. Weinstein, there was the first couple of articles and and then all of a sudden people started to realize, oh, no, this guy's not just he's not the uh, prototypical guy that's saying, you know, you know, like the short skirt, honey, in the office or something. He's actually a predator. I mean, he's he's assaulting women. He's he's a criminal. That's what came out from these stories. But it's at. There was a point at which that became obvious. I wonder if, because I wouldn't put it past her. I wonder if it had that had already been the case, and yet Hillary still didn't want to be the one who uh, who came out and yeah you know, was on the wrong side of Weinstein, just in case his reputation lived to fight another day. She is the most unscrupulous politician of her generation, and that's saying a lot. The woman has no ethical core whatsoever. Her office was for sale. Her integrity was for sale. And what we see with the Weinstein thing is even the most grotesque abuser of women that we know of, at least from Hollywood at the high at the high levels of Hollywood was someone that not only was she close to, but her first impulse was to try and stay on the right side of of him. You know, by the way, NBC doesn't get nearly enough flack for the fact that they tried to kill the Weinstein story. How does anyone show up to work over there and not feel a little gross? How do the executives at NBC who didn't want to cover Ronan Farrow's uh, scoop on Weinstein, how do they how do they feel about themselves to look in the mirror? I mean, I really mean that. Who could have the power to do something uh, about that situation and bring finally bring the truth to the public and then sit on their hands and do nothing? Only a deeply sociopathic mindset. And if you're looking for that, you can't do much better than Madame Secretary Hillary Clinton herself. 
Uh, I want to talk to you about some chef news coming up here. Buck has some uh, some culinary adventures ahead. What are they? I'll tell you, but you have to just stay right there. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Swedish chef, man. The Swedish chef is great. Oh, I miss the days of of the Muppets, man. The Muppets were great characters. But wh- why why do I have Swedish Chef on the brain right now? That's a very valid question. Other than the fact that sometimes I just like to go on the radio, which I know is a little weird, but you get used to it after a while. Because I have absolutely no ability whatsoever to mimic an actual Swedish accent, really. But the chef part is what I'm interested in right now. I've got kind of an exciting little announcement to make here on the show. No, I am not, in fact, quitting media to become a chef. Although, I've had days, my friends, where I've really thought about it. I also know that every chef, and I have some friends who have been professional chefs that I've ever talked to, are like, it is an incredibly hard job. It is hard on you physically. It is hard on your social life. Oh, yeah, you look more like a dog than I do. Where's the lamb sauce? Come on, man. I just need a... This the lamb Where's sauce? the lamb That's sauce? Right here, chef. I lamb sauce it. is coming up. There's just nothing coming together. Where is the lamb sauce? Yep, being a chef is hard. You do not make much money in most of the stages, not just the early stages, and it's very, very competitive. But I do like to cook here and there. I've actually learned a lot more about cooking since I realized that I couldn't rely on most of our food supply, which has gluten in it, lots of flour and all this other stuff. Uh, I only found out about five or six years ago now. But then I tried to teach myself how to cook, and I've gotten pretty good at it. Well, my announcement, and by the way, when I say gotten pretty good at it, on a scale of one to ten, one being Camp Boyle, Water, 10 being uh, Alain Ducasse or Eric Repair or one of these super fancy chefs that everyone seems to love so much. I'm probably like a six, I'd say, realistically. But that's pretty good for a dude who didn't have any formal cooking. Uh, But I, I make great eggs. And my announcement is that tomorrow on Fox and Friends, I will be doing a segment called Cooking with Friends. So you will, those of you who are like, I think I know how to make scrambled eggs. You're getting a little preview here. I will be on Fox News in front of a few million people cooking my perfect scrambled eggs. If you tune in tomorrow at 8.45 or so a.m. Eastern time, you will see me with all of my ninja tricks for scrambled eggs. I could tell you what they are now, but, you know. Why then would you want to watch tomorrow morning? So I'm hoping you'll tune in. And if learning how to take the eggs off the heat and how to actually crack the eggs properly and all that is not enough, and I certainly think it should be, I would also offer to you that as it stands right now, and it's assuming that she can get off work, 
not only will you have yours truly, Mr. Buckman, on Fox News tomorrow, cooking with friends, you will see Chef Buck in action, which I, I hope that's enough of a draw. But for a lot of you, you're like, Buck, first of all, my eggs are better than yours. I'll fight you. And second of all, uh, you know, you, you may not, you feel like you see enough of me. May, I don't know. Miss Molly, the one and only Miss Molly is supposed to be joining tomorrow morning. So she is my friend for cooking with friends. So those of you who have never seen her before or you're unfamiliar with the, uh, the, the lovely character known as Ms. Molly, she's a real-life person. She is my, uh, my wonderful girlfriend, and she will be joining on the set of Fox & Friends tomorrow morning. So you get to see Ms. Molly. You get to see Buck's amazing scrambled eggs in action. And I'm, I'm hoping that you all find it to be a, a useful Useful three minutes, maybe, of your time. It's going to be quick. Now, I could tell you that producer Mike is going to tape it, and then we'll put it on various social media platforms, but I'm not going to tell you that right now because I want you to watch it live because that'll be more fun. But that's right. My, my international debut as a TV chef, kind of, will be occurring tomorrow morning on Fox & Friends, and I am really, really uh, looking forward to it. They asked me, they're like, Buck, is this a family recipe? No, I learned from watching lots of YouTube videos. That was the best that I could give them. It's true. YouTube is incredible. Uh, YouTube has taught me so much about cooking and about working out that I wish I had known in my 20s. It would have really been somewhat life-changing. Maybe one day I'll talk to you about some of the best YouTube uh, DIY videos for cooking and uh, fitness. Now, the fitness thing... It's on me that I don't use the knowledge more, but I've actually acquired a lot of knowledge from YouTube about all this stuff. Uh, so please tune in tomorrow, 8.45 a.m. Eastern Time, Fox and Friends, Buck, Scrambled Eggs, and Ms. Molly, cooking with friends. And we come back, we're cooking with you with Roll Call. those funky beats team buck it's time for roll call i don't even really know what you call that music but uh like i said i keep it fresh and feisty up here in the freedom hut and that means Mixing it up from time to time with the roll call. I'm going to bring back some hard stuff, though, later this week. I'm going to come after it with some some seriously funky beats. Uh, let's get into the roll call inbox. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or official Team Buck at gmail.com. Producer Mike, can we please get an, uh, an iHeart address? We work for a, an enormous company called iHeart Media. And we, we, I'm sure they can hook us up with an email address if we just ask, which we, we probably haven't done. So let's do that. Uh, so we don't have a Gmail account. It sounds like I'm doing the Wayne's World radio show here. All right, back to uh, Wayne's World party time. Wayne's World, Wayne's World party time. Excellent. <laughs> okay. All right. Excellent. 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 <laughs> nice, nice work there, John. That's an, ama that's an amazing show. It really is timeless. 
All right. Uh, let's see. We have first up here, Thomas, who writes, I have to disagree on the milk and burger not being used for other things. Oh, Thomas, you're killing me here, buddy. Milk is a generic term for cow milk, goat's milk, coconut milk, etc. Burger is by definition a sandwich similar to a hamburger, which a hamburger lies any a hamburger lies anyway because it's made of beef, not ham. That's a fair point. Just like the paper is used for toilet paper, wax paper, wrapping paper. Burger milk and paper are generic terms. Love the show. Keep up the great work, Thomas. Thomas, even though you may be correct here, I'm going to overrule you and say you're wrong because milk and burger have a very clear cultural meaning and we should not allow our uh, our our culinary appropriation to occur in this way. You know, they should not be able to take our words and use them for ridiculousness. I mean, they'll even sell things in the store. I saw this the other day, beefless tips. So you can have beef tips or you can have beefless tips why would anyone why would this would be like saying hamburgerless hamburger why would you want this it's just nonsense look vegetarian and vegan folks and i know look i obviously am just having fun eat whatever you want to eat just be healthy and happy uh but you know let's be honest about the foods that we're eating shall we if you're going to drink 64 ounces of coke just call it destroy my health in a can you know just be honest about what it is i think that's a better way to go TJ, next up here, writes, Buck, you're showing how city you are with your comment about never being at a party and hearing Shania. Shania was a staple at most parties here in the Midwest and always at weddings. Come on, man. TJ, you may be right. Uh, Shania never really caught on in the cities, so there is that. Um, But I I don't think I've ever been in a party in my life and heard Shania Twain played with any unless it was being played ironically. Uh, Monica, next here. The ranch has Deborah Winger from Officer and a Gentleman, too. Well, thank you, Monica. I'll have to check out the ranch. I am not aware at all of the show, so I don't, I'm going to watch it, though. I'm going to check it out. Uh, Charlene, next up here. Listen to your podcast, and your vegetarian-vegan disgust was hilarious. I agree. Here's a joke for you. How can you tell if someone is vegan? Just wait a few minutes and they'll tell you. Wah, wah. <laughs> well, Charlene, um, I think you tend to be right there. I, I just, I can't, I personally can't be vegan. Uh, just, just, just can't do it. Can't do it. But uh, for those of you who can, congrats. And I wish you all the best with it. Uh, just don't be angry at me when you see me. As I did last night, I was out to dinner with the fam last night and had a medium rare ribeye. It was quite delicious. Ari, next here. Uh, I saw the clip on YouTube where you talk about meeting the former president, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. It's an awesome story. Well, Ari, yes, uh, I did brief them and the story is up on YouTube. It was an interview that Glenn Beck did of me when I was an employee at the Blaze. So, yeah, if you type in Buck Sexton, George W. Bush uh, and the Blaze, I'm sure it will pop up. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, not that I need to say this, but uh, true story. It is a true story. Yeah. Well, the rest of those fancy city boys are out there opining about this war. You're helping fight it. Um, So that was that was Bush to me when I was a young pup 
CIA officer, you know, a, a young cub in the den, so to speak. Uh, let's see what else we got here. We have Eric who writes, LOL, the Christian Amanpour bits. Oh, isn't it fabulous? Christian, you could be a famous journalist if you also speak like this. Nobody actually talks this way, but if you go on television and you choose to speak with the most affected accent on the planet, people will pay you millions of dollars and say that you are in fact a genius of some kind. Christiana Mumpool, reporting live from the most pretentious place on the planet. Nobody believes you, basically, because everything you've said, everything you've said of has simply been, uh, you know, swatted away by the facts. Damn, that's cold, Christian. <laughs> kind of reminds me of this. So I needed 4,000 brown M&Ms or Rosie wouldn't go on stage that night. Managed to find the M&Ms on the edge of town, but the shopkeeper and his son was a different story altogether. But instead of a guard dog, they had this great big bloody Bengal tiger. Let's see how many of you actually get that reference. All right, I got to tell you, I got something here in the in the inbox that is 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 phenomenal. We have such a brilliant and creative audience that listens to this show. That that's a part of what we do here on the show. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna post this, Michael. Uh, this is going up on the Facebook page. Black Rifle Coffee is one of our uh, wonder, one of our wonderful sponsors here on the show, a real partner with us. And uh, I drink their coffee. I love their gear, and I hope that you check out all of the same. Uh, but Michael did something amazing. He has created buck specific Black Rifle blends using. I, I'm assuming. Uh, Photoshop here, but he has Buck Sexton blend, which just has a swoop of hair, and then also Buck Sexton's Freedom Hut blend. Uh, these look incredible, Michael. You first of all, you're a very talented graphic design person, and I love this. I am actually going to take uh, these ideas and send them to the uh, CEO of Black Rifle Coffee and see if we can get something along these lines uh, going. I think it would be great. So thank you for suggesting this. And uh, we'll have to probably come up with our own designs, but I appreciate you borrowing our slogans and doing such a phenomenal job with Photoshop. The Buck Sexton blend with a swoop of hair and Buck Sexton's Freedom Hut blend, that's going to be amazing coffee. There's, there's no question about it. This is going to be some phenomenal, delicious coffee. Uh, and you, I, I just, I'm taking a screenshot. I'm sending it to the folks. Uh, let's see what else we've got here in the inbox. We get uh, Philip who writes, oh, wow, he's got a bunch. Good day, sir. First, I love the show uh, and enjoy your take on current events with your CIA background and the fact that you're close to my age. I'm normally a bourbon man, but I'm curious how you like to drink your tequila. I can't recall the brand you like. Let me know. Well, it is G4 Tequila. You can go to g4tequila.life. And most importantly, movie quotes. For a good quote, there is no need for a place setting in the movie an explanation of the situation. It should stand out. I'm a podcast listener, so always a day behind and can't call in with a quote. So I figured I'd shoot a couple rapid-fire softball quotes your way. First... 
three action last two comedy or the first is is uh or, or sorry first there's three action quotes last two comedy we're in the pipe five by five i don't know what that one is man you got me uh this is my boomstick man i don't know number three send a maniac to catch one that's demolition man ding 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 got that one i know i got that one uh, and then, no, no, light speed is too slow. Yes, we're going to have to go to ludicrous speed. Well, that's obviously space balls. Bing, bing, bing. Got that one, too. If you can't get the quotes, Philip writes, Google them. It'll just pop up. Coffee and bacon all day. Keep it up and wish you and family the best. Thank you so much, Philip. Same to you. I drink my G4 neat, but I will also mix it because, you know, bad tequila will ruin a mixed drink. Good tequila like G4 you know, the best best mixed drink ever. Uh, so do give that a shot. By the way, I would love to get a bacon sponsor on the show because I do eat bacon five days a week. I really do. And I would love to get a bacon sponsor. So if any of you out there know a great all-American bacon brand, send it my way. And uh, let's see if we can get some artisanal, thick-cut bacon, smoky, delicious, maybe even some maple glaze or pepper bacon. I'm, I'm making myself hungry here right now. Uh, that's going to be it, though, for... The hut for today is tomorrow, Friday. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh, Buck. Get it together. Tomorrow's Thursday. I was going to say we have a freestyle Friday, but instead we will have a thoughtful Thursday. Thank you all so much for being here with me. Please tell some folks about the show. And if you're a live listener, download the podcast so you have it. That way you can also share it with people and uh, you can spread the word, which is a huge help to all of us here in the hut. Much more coming your way tomorrow. Until then... My friends, my allies, my fellow countrymen, my fellow Americans, shields high.